The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Good morning. My name is Erica Graham. So a handful of you guys probably have already seen me up here a couple times. If you're new to Ecclesia, welcome. Um, I wore this shirt last night for my sermon and it didn't work. Um, so today we'll see, we'll test it again. I didn't wash my clothes either, so I'm disgusting. But I'm super excited and honored to be back up here. And today we're gonna dive into the book of Jonah. And it's such a good story. It's actually an entire book in the Bible. Might take you 15 minutes to find it because it's a couple of thin pages. And it's four chapters. And I wanted to cover all four chapters, but that would take about four hours. So we're just gonna cover chapter one. And I grew up in the Lutheran church and also the UCC denomination. And I grew up going to church and you would read the Bible and then there'd be a sermon on the reading after. So we're kind of gonna roll with that style today. We're gonna read all of chapter one together, which is a lot of reading, and then we're gonna talk about it after. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I often listen to other sermons on this subject to see how other people are talking about the story. And I was listening to what other pastors have done with chapter one of Jonah. And some of it was honestly kind of depressing because it's such an amazing story. It reads almost like a comedy, like a comic book. It's full of action and it's absurd and it's unpredictable. And a lot of theologians and scholars and then pastors, they spend time trying to argue either the literal truth so they say that Jonah really lived in a whale for three days, or they argue the parable truth, and that's that this story was a parable, much like the prodigal son. And I'm here to tell you that I don't care which camp you fall under. Maybe you're somebody who believes that it literally happened and that the miracle of Jonah was created by God and it made him able to survive in this fish. Or maybe you read it as a metaphor for Israel. A lot of scholars would say that this is a parable and that Jonah is really a metaphor for Israel and it's an example of being disobedient and it's example of the Exodus and what happens. And I think either interpretations we have room for at Ecclesia. But what I think is sad about this whole discussion is I listened for two hours. There was this scholar and a scientist and a pastor. And the scientist was talking about whales because they assumed that there weren't, there weren't any fish big enough, even though the Hebrew word dog is fish. So the scientist was saying whales are flatulent, which means they can fart. So the scientist said if whales are flatulent, then there's methane gas in their intestinal tract, and no human could survive three days of inhaling methane gas. It's poisonous. 
And the pastor combats and says, well, that's the miracle of God. Our God can do miraculous things. And it made Jonah able to metabolize methane gas. And you guys, they argued for three hours about whale farts. <laughs> and my fear is that as Christians, we often focus on the things that don't matter. Like how often are we arguing about stupid things when there are really important questions to be asked that get ignored because we're stuck in the things that don't matter? And so I would invite you to ask and ponder that question. When are we arguing the wrong things? And in my opinion, if you give a sermon on whale farts, you're missing the whole point of Jonah. And so we're gonna read Jonah chapter one together. It starts off. One day the word of the eternal one came to the prophet Jonah. The eternal one said, get up and go to that powerful and notorious city of Nineveh. Call out my message against it because the wickedness of its people has come to my attention. In hearing those instructions, Jonah got up and ran toward Tarshish from the Eternal's presence. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship bound for Tarshish. He climbed aboard, paid the fare, and made himself comfortable in hold of the ship. So just to explain what just happened, so I have a map. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and Jonah went to Joppa and he took a boat and sailed to Tarshish. Um, <laughs> you guys are the only sermon that thought that was funny. <laughs> I think it's funny too. And um, this is the modern day equivalent of God telling me to go to Yemen and I go to George Bush airport and fly to Hawaii. Like that's literally what Jonah did. And scholars believe a boat, would, it would have taken a boat about a year back then to get to Tarshish from Joppa. And it also, the story shows that Jonah was probably somebody who had money because in order for you to go to Joppa and just be able to pay for a year boat ride on the spot and sail to a wealthy city like Tarshish, you probably had to come from some money. Um, Tarshish was this exotic, beautiful, economically wealthy city on the coast of Spain. Nineveh, on the other hand, was an enemy of Israel. And so one was this wicked and war-torn country and the other, this beautiful luxury paradise. And so Jonah went to Tarshish. The story continues. Not to be deterred, the eternal one threw an intense wind at the sea. The violence of the storm put Jonah's ship in jeopardy of breaking apart. The sailors panicked. They started running back and forth, throwing cargo overboard to lighten the boat. Every man out of desperation cried to his own deity. So pay attention to that line. They cried to their own deity. That means they weren't Jewish and worshiping the same God in our Bible. They cried to their own gods. Eventually, a sailor found Jonah down in the hold of the ship when he had lain down and fallen into a deep slumber. When the captain heard, he went down and woke Jonah up. How can you sleep so deeply? 
My husband asks me that every night, by the way. I don't know, I just come. Get up and call out to your deity. Maybe your deity will see what is happening and save us from this catastrophe. And the sailors responded, you know what we should do? We should cast lots to find out who is ultimately, ultimately responsible for our distress. So they cast their lots and Jonah's name was chosen. Jonah started shouting back. He admitted, God is using the sea to punish me. So pick me up and throw me into the sea. So Jonah would literally be thrown, would rather be thrown off a boat and die than go to Nineveh. Then the sea will grow calm again and you'll be safe. This is all my fault. This great storm of God's anger has built against you because of me. The sailors fear what will happen to them if they kill one of God's people. And the sailors ignored Jonah's advice and tried to row back to land. They made no headway because the violence of the storm kept growing. The sailors to God said, eternal one. And this is a crucial point of the story because these sailors are pagan sailors. They're not Jewish. They don't believe in Yahweh or, or the same God that we believe in. And now they're starting to believe Jonah's God because the storm is happening. So they cry and they're praying to Yahweh or our God, eternal one, please, we beg you, do not kill us as if we had murdered this man. And don't punish us as if we'd killed an innocent person. We understand that you, eternal one, do as you please. At that, they grabbed Jonah by the arms and legs and threw him overboard. And when they did, the raging sea grew calm. The sailors were even more terrified of the eternal one. They offered sacrifices to him and made promises to him. The eternal didn't let Jonah die. He chose a large fish to swallow Jonah. And for three days and three nights, the prophet Jonah sat safely inside the belly of the fish. So that's chapter one. Chapter two, three, and four are just as exciting. I encourage you to go home and read those. Actually, chapter two is a series of psalms and prayer. And it's, it's really counterintuitive, this whole story, because it's a psalm and prayer of thanksgiving. And if you were stuck in the belly of a fish, inhaling methane gas, you probably wouldn't give a prayer of thanksgiving. But that's what Jonah did. And in fact, it's a really beautiful prayer. There, it quotes 20 different psalms in this one prayer. And so Jonah is in this fish, reciting back from his Jewish psalms and stringing together a beautiful and eloquent prayer. And to top off this beauty, the very last line of chapter two, if you wanna get a Bible verse tattooed, this is what I recommend. It says, the whale vomits Jonah out onto dry land. <laughs> it gave me goosebumps. It's beautiful. But it actually is beautiful because the Jewish word for dry land is the same word they use in Genesis. So it's, it's a reference back to the creation narrative. And many scholars believe that, it, believe that in a way, Jonah is being reborn and recreated. And so it actually is a beautiful verse. Get the tattoo, I'll pay for it. 
So I think that this story asks some really important questions. And that's not the questions that we started out with. You could probably make a list of 10 questions or more this story asks. But one of the first ones I'm going to invite you to contemplate in the weeks and years to come is what is your Tarshish? Everybody say Tarshish. I had to practice that. It's, it's a tough word. So where, where do you go to avoid where you're actually supposed to be? Like when God tells you to go to Nineveh, where do you go? Could be pills, alcohol, shopping, porn, gossip, Netflix, reading, exercise, working, scrolling on your cell phone. Not all these things are bad, but it's how we use them that makes them bad. Do we use them to avoid the whisper of God in our lives? I know I'm in seminary right now. I did a master's at Rice. It was a, general's ma a general master's. And I did my capstone research under a Hebrew scholar, Dr. Henze. But I've not completed a traditional seminary yet. And I'm at Denver University right now, finishing up at the Iliff School of Theology. And when I have a big paper due, I usually start a Netflix series. Seems like a great time to whip out a quick Netflix series and stay up until two in the morning and ruin my life. It ruins my life. But that's where I go to avoid doing what I don't actually wanna do. Or if I'm stuck and I can't think of the next paragraph when I'm writing, I'll usually look for the paragraph in my refrigerator. Like, you know what, one bowl of cereal, that'll solve all my problems. But where do you go to avoid doing the harder, more difficult work that God calls you to do? Nineveh is harder than Tarshish. But Jonah goes through a lot of suffering by avoiding Nineveh. And that's what happens when we avoid the truth is we end up suffering so much more. And loving our enemies because Nineveh was this war-torn place that was very against Israel, um, in many ways, I believe God is calling Jonah to love his enemies. And that's, I think, the most radical kind of theology that I can think of, loving your enemy. I mean, we hear it all over the Bible and through the words of Jesus but it seems almost impossible to do. In high school, I played basketball. And when we played this one particular team, the same girl would always guard me. And she'd throw some cheap shots my way when the ref wasn't looking. And according to her, I did the same thing, which I highly doubt. <laughs> and I remember one time she said, Get the bleep off me. And my heart was pounding. And I was so angry because she was the one who was all over me. And my grandma had this phrase, kill him with kindness. So I took a deep breath. And I said, oh my gosh, I love your shoes. <laughs> and that is not loving your enemy. That's just patronizing and sarcastic. Okay, 
Because loving your enemies is hard. It's not snarky sarcasm. It's real, compassionate, radical, the Jesus kind of love that we hear about in the Bible. And that's what God wanted Jonah to do. Hey, go to Israel's enemy and love them and pastor them. But Jonah didn't want to do that. And I think if we're being honest, we don't want to do that either. The second question that I think this story asks is when have you seen either or when you could have seen both and? I gave this sermon to my mom and she said that's a weird question, but hear me out. I think this story shakes up what Richard Rohr calls, we often have a dual awareness in our lives and non-dualism means that we see the world not in either ors, but in both ands. And this story is chocked full of both and comparisons. Um, Jonah was thinking both and when he tried to run from God's presence. At the beginning of the story, it says that Jonah tried to flee Nineveh and go to Tarshish, which means that Jonah thought God was either in Nineveh or Tarshish, and that if he was in Nineveh, he could escape God. And the story reminds us that escaping the presence of God is literally impossible because we don't have a God of either or. We have a God of both and. Another example of this both and or non-dual theology is when we look at the pagans on the ship. The sailors were not Christians or good Jews. They worshiped a different God, multiple gods. And Jonah, who supposedly our prophet, is the one falling asleep, being disobedient, wanting to wreck his life by throwing himself off the ship, but the pagans, who were not the good Jews or the good Christians, they're the ones that are sacrificing and praying and asking questions and being obedient. And for us, we read that story and we realize that God didn't pick a team on this boat. He was very present on both sides and using them both in very different ways. And when we accept that truth, that God isn't either or, but he's both and, I think we can read the Bible for what it was meant to be. And that's a book to unite us and not separate us. I find this either or paradox a lot in politics. And I serve on the advisory board of the Young Center for Immigrant Rights, and we help pair child advocates with unaccompanied minors applying for asylum at the border. And I was once helping with a fundraiser for this organization, and I posted something on Facebook, and somebody commented that I should really stop worrying about the immigrants, and I should be concerned about our veterans and their suicide rates and the foster children in our own country. And I think they're right. We should care about all of that. But the problem with that response is that it's a response out of either or thinking. We don't have to pick if we care about the suffering of immigrants or the suffering of veterans. We should care about the suffering of all people because it's very clear the Bible was on the side of suffering, period. 
And it's not like a pie, where if you take one piece of the pie, there's less for everyone else. That's not the kind of love that God operates with in this story. It's a love that doesn't run on scarcity, but it's at the margins, no matter where the margins are. But we get stuck in this either or thinking. So I think we can admire the transformative power of Brant Jean for giving Amber Geiger this past week with that beautiful hug. And at the same time, not or, but and, we should be furious about the racism and injustice and the loss of life, and we should be crying with that family. It's not either or, it's both and, and in fact, it has to be both and. Otherwise, we get skewed in one direction that isn't the direction of Christ. When I first learned about this non-dualism awareness a couple years ago, um, it was from Richard Rohr, and he did a series of blog posts, and he's a Franciscan friar that's pretty popular. It's become kind of mainstream. And it really blew my mind to start seeing the world as more both and and to stop separating it into us versus them. And my husband and I, when we go on vacations, we like to do different things. He likes to golf. Um, I can think of nothing that I would, uh, like golfing sounds like the worst idea to me on vacation. I, I don't know why, every time I golf, I am like shocked that I'm not good. Like I can't believe it. I'm shocked. And, and when I go on vacations, I like to go to conferences and seminars and workshops. And I incorporated this both and theology into our marriage. I thought, why don't we go on a vacation to New Mexico? Because they have beautiful golf courses. And there's this Richard Rohr conference called the Conspire Conference. And I can go to my weird little conference and do all my Christian chants and you can golf and then we can hang out together after. And we did it. And to top it off, my husband was watching a popular series at the time called Breaking Bad. And so I spent my days doing these Christian chants and then my nights visiting these like fake meth labs. <laughs> It's really beautiful. There's a picture of Garrett and I. That's, that's us at Walter's house. Um, what I should point out is there's actually a man in the garage yelling at me. You can't see him. He's saying back up, which I just did a quick van and right pose and got out of there. He has cones in front of his driveway. Apparently this happens a lot. Um, so we visited a Walter's house. We also visited Saul Goodman's office. I didn't even watch the series, but apparently everyone thinks this is cool. And we got to do both because we weren't thinking in either ors, but you can incorporate it in your life. And at this, on this trip, they showed a video that I think summarizes the reality that God is everywhere and not on one side or one team really well. Just four minutes, we're gonna watch it. So there's something about that video that just lowers my blood pressure. 
and reminds me that God is in every living cell. And so often we're stuck in either or, and we're not the only ones that get stuck. The Pharisees, all people in ancient times struggled with this non-duality. And the most obvious example I can think of is people were always wondering, is Jesus human or is he God? It's either or. And Jesus was an embodiment of both and. He's fully human and fully God. And the Pharisees were always trying to get Jesus to prove that he was God or human. And in Matthew, the scribes and Pharisees say, teacher, we wanna see some miraculous sign from you. So they're asking Jesus to like put on a magic show, prove he's God. And Jesus responds with a story about Jonah. He said, you wicked and promiscuous generation. You are looking for signs, are you? The only sign you will be given is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, as the son of man will spend three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. One day the people of Nineveh will rise up in judgment and will condemn your present generation. For the Ninevites turned from sin to God when they heard Jonah preach. And now one far greater than Jonah is here. And so Jesus responds by saying, you don't get it. A magic show is not what you guys want. Because a, a death and a resurrection is coming and I'm gonna spend three days in the center of the earth and in the tomb. And in that process, the world is gonna become transformed, just as Jonah was transformed inside that whale for three days. Because spoiler alert, chapter three of Jonah, he goes back to Nineveh and preaches and Nineveh becomes good and follows the God of Yahweh. And I think that brings us to our final question, and that is the transformative power of storms. And what storms in your life have been an invitation to transformation. Uh, I think of in the Jonah story, a really important part of the story is when all the sailors start grabbing cargo, cargo that probably meant something and had value, but the storm came and no, it no longer had any value or purpose on the boat. And I think when storms come in our own lives, we realize what has value really quickly and what doesn't. In many ways, I think the purpose of storms is to realize all the cargo that you gotta throw off your boat because it no longer serves a purpose in your life. And whether that storm is cancer, divorce, addiction, loss, grief, they serve as storms and opportunities for us to throw out the things that no longer serve us. So often we wanna be saved from, saved from the storm and we wouldn't wish our storms on anyone, but if we're being honest, the storms often rescue us. In the story of Jonah, the fish starts off as dog, which is the Hebrew word for fish. And it turns to daga when, it's, when Jonah is inside the fish. And many theologians believe 
that the fish became female and then male again when it vomited Jonah out. Get that tattoo. But it became male again because it symbolized the fish becoming impregnated with possibility and Jonah's rebirth. And I was debating whether to tell this story that I shared at our women's retreat and then this interpretation of the fish being impregnated came up and it felt like kind of a mystical sign. And so I was in my own personal storm recently. It was a literal storm. I was actually, you know that Thursday of Imelda when you were not supposed to go on the road? I went to a doctor's appointment for a blood test and I was the only one at the clinic, just me and the doctors. My nurse was like, Erica, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, I really want this blood test. And so I got the test and I was nervous about driving back. So I hung out in this random building downtown for a while. And when I felt like it was safe, I hit the road and my nurse called me. And I thought, well, Amanda's probably worried about me in this storm. And I answered, and she said, Erica, I'm so sorry, but you're no longer pregnant. And I was so mad. And I felt in many ways how Jonah felt. I felt, you know what, I don't even care. Like, throw me off the boat. If, if this stupid Houston storm swallows me up on my way home, like, I didn't even care in that moment. And through the process of grieving and the weeks since then, I'm a different person than before that phone call. And while I wouldn't wish that storm on anyone, I know it's a common storm. And it's the story of so many women in this room. And I know that I'm different because of it. I know what matters and what doesn't matter in my life because of that phone call. And that's the invitation of the storms in our life, both literal and personal, is that they're invitations. I think Ecclesia is a church that says yes to the invitation that storms bring. Because what do we do when the Bahamas gets hit? We're there. When Harvey happens, we're there. It happens on a literal and metaphorical sense. And that's why I love being part of a community that says yes to the story of Jonah because we know that on the other side of it is transformation. And so I believe that there are four lights within our faith community. There's love, peace, faith, and hope. And sometimes when we're fighting and we don't feel like the people in our lives are paying attention to us or we don't feel God's love, we wonder if it's even real. Or peace, we turn on the news and it's just people arguing at each other in war-torn countries and this world feels impossible for peace to ever be achieved. So we wonder if it's real. And our faith gets tested in storms. We don't give prayers at Thanksgiving like Jonah. We often wonder if this whole God thing is even real. 
And so we're left with hope. And I think the invitation of the Jonah story and the invitation that we as Christians have is to go back and find glimpses of love and show the world that it's possible. It's to meet people in times of unrest and to set a fire in their lives and communities. And when our faith gets tested, we take our hope that it's going to some larger plan and that all of this is going somewhere because the story of Jonah ends well. It ends with Nineveh being transformed. And when we say yes to that invitation of hope, I believe we're living in the kingdom of God that we're required to believe as Christians. Ecclesia, let me pray with you. Dear God, I pray that as we go out into the world, that we will be your candles of hope. I pray that we will think about our Tarshish and where we go to avoid your divine calling and that we will remember that we don't live in a world of us and them but of both and because you exist in all life. And we pray that when your storms come as we know they will, that we will say yes to your invitation because we know that if we do not transform our pain, that we will transmit it. And we choose transformation every time, just as you did on that cross and within your resurrection, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.